0: Welcome to another episode of the Tom Schirmer Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. And happy last day of August. I'm not sure if I want to say it that way, but uh, one week from today is Labor Day, which means one week from tomorrow is when everyone will finally be back to work. And I know some of you have been back to work already for a month, for a few weeks, but by next Tuesday... Everyone will be back to work and summer will be officially over. We love our summer vacations and we love our jobs. And I know so many of you are craving a return to routine. If you have young children, uh, I know at some point during the summer, the lack of routine kind of wore on them, it wore on you. And it's always nice for families to get back to those routines we become so dependent upon. Uh, Last week, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin for a few days. Uh, This past weekend was my fantasy football draft. So I'm really excited about the fantasy football season coming up. Get that cranked up again. And I'll be headed for Southern California toward the end of this week. A few reminders as we get going today, of course. The Grading from the Inside Out two-day training will be in Long Beach, California, September 21st and 22nd. Also be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, December 1st and 2nd. All of the information for those events can be found on the Solution Tree website. Of course, there are links in the show notes for those events as well. The other conference, of course, this fall I've been mentioning is the Teach Better Conference. That'll be in Akron, Ohio, October 14th and 15th. Great speakers lined up for that as well. Of course, the podcast is part of the Teach Better Network. And if you use the code SHIMMER22, you'll get a $25 discount on your registration. Links in the show notes for that event also. Okay, thanks for tuning in again this week. A big welcome to any new listeners joining in for the first time. And of course, a big thank you to longtime listeners. I really do appreciate all of you. Uh, This week, my guest is Lindsay Titus. Lindsay is an assistant principal, and she is the host of the Define University podcast. And U is spelt Y-O-U, so it's the Define University podcast. And so we talk about wellness and we talk about how we can manage our stress and pressure uh, throughout the school year. And Natalie Vardabasso is here one final time for Assess That with Tom and Nat. And we talk about sustaining change. Uh, It's one thing to initiate change, it's quite another to sustain it. Now one thing to add before we get going here, both the segments with Lindsay and the segment with Natalie uh, were recorded while I was on the road and the hotel I was in had a little bit spotty Wi-Fi, so there are some technical glitches during the recording on my end. Uh, as I said, the weak internet signal conti- uh, contributed to that. Um, I didn't hear any of that until after listening back to each segment, so I just want to apologize for that. I hope it's not too disruptive to your listening uh, of the episode. So Lindsay Titus, Natalie Vardabasso are here, uh, so that's today's plan. Let's get to it. conversation with Lindsay Titus is coming up. But first, don't at me. But I want to open this week by saying we need to establish some rules about this whole spoiler alert thing because it's getting unreasonable to ask everyone to cater to your viewing habits. Now at some point, you have to take responsibility for the fact that your viewing choices have taken you in another direction. And the statute of limitations has run out so the rest of us are going to talk about a show, a movie, or a game if you have chosen not to watch it. Uh, This whole no spoilers thing has become quite annoying, if you ask me, as if everyone in society has to cater to your viewing habits in perpetuity. Hey, dude, no spoilers. It's like, dude, it's Gladiator. That movie was released 22 years ago. If you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. Now, this topic has come up for me because last week, I overheard a conversation at the Minneapolis airport that got me thinking about this whole no spoilers thing. I was waiting at my gate for my flight to Green Bay and behind me in another row of seats, these three dudes were talking about the show Ozark. Now, I'm not quite sure based on the conversation if they had just finished season four or in the midst of season four. But they were pretty animated about the show, and I, of course, was interested in their conversation because Ozark has been one of my favorite shows over the last number of years. My buddy Steve recommended it to me, and I started watching it, and I loved the show. So I was interested in what they were talking about. Okay, so these three dudes are talking. They're in the midst of this conversation about the show when a fourth bro comes back, that's what we're going to call him, comes back to where they're sitting, and it doesn't take him long to figure out what the others are talking about. They're they're right behind me, so I can hear the whole thing unfolding. So again, bro number four, again, bro number four interjects and says, hey, don't spoil it. I haven't watched it yet. And so one of his buddies asked to clarify. He says, wait, you haven't finished season four yet? And bro number four replies, he's like, no, I've only, I'm only up to season two. And his friends acquiesced, and they sort of stopped talking. They said, oh, sorry, man. Um, I mean, that was kind of them, of course. But, it, but then it got me thinking. So I got on the internet and I googled Ozark. Season 2? Two, 2018. Season 3? 2020. 2018. He's watched Season 2. 2020 is Season 3. So two years. They have to wait two years until they can talk about the show. But then I thought, well... Maybe this friend group just started watching it more recently, like I did, right? I didn't watch it when it first came out. That's fair. Uh, Maybe they just started and bro number four has to catch up. So I thought, okay, well, that could be true. Fair enough. But that led me to thinking about the hypothetical, which is how long do your friends have to wait? At what point do you have to manage it versus them being quiet about the show? What is the statute of limitations where it's no longer up to the group, but it's up to you? Yes, it's funny what thoughts you have uh, when you're traveling alone and you're surrounded by conversations that you're privy to, even if you're not directly involved in them, right? But I thought to myself, there has to be a rule. We got to come up with a rule. This idea that we all have to tailor our conversations because of your viewing schedule, nope, sorry, life doesn't work that way. You see and hear this in sports all the time, and it's just so true. Many seem to want everything tailored to their particular schedule. And I'm going to borrow a little bit from one of my favorite sports podcasters, Ryan Rossillo, because he often talks about this on his podcast too, and I completely agree with him. When people say, oh, the baseball season is too long, well, how about this? How about you start watching baseball in June or July? No one is forcing you to watch baseball in April, as if the baseball season needs to be tailored to your preferences, right? Or people say, the NBA should not start until the NFL season is over. Or you could just start watching basketball in February. The evolution of our on-demand society seems to have some thinking that everything can and should be tailored for them. And I, for one, have kind of had it with all of that. So I'm here to declare a societal rule around spoilers that I think is pretty reasonable to both sides of this conversation. Okay, let's begin with movies. Movies. You have six months. If you haven't watched a movie within six months of its release, then did you really want to watch it? Six months. After six months, people are free to talk about the movie in your presence. Now, listen, if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want the spoiler, just leave the room for a few minutes and let your friends or your colleagues have their conversation. For you to sit there and say no spoilers after six months? No, sorry, I'm not having it. That's on you. You need to manage this. It's not up to them. All right, what about a TV series? You've got one year or whenever the next season is released. Whichever comes first. Again, if you don't want the series ruined for you, then you can remove yourself from the conversation. If season two is out and you haven't watched season one, then that's on you. And I ask again, if that TV series were a priority for you, you would have watched it. The idea that we all have to not talk about something because you didn't have your viewing priorities in order? Nope, not going to have it. Go use the restroom check your email, go on TikTok, do something to occupy yourself, you feel like you're missing out on the conversation? Well, then you should have watched the show, shouldn't you? Okay, what about sports? Here's the rule for sports. You got 48 hours. If you couldn't watch the game, but you recorded it, you have 48 hours to watch, or we're talking about it. No spoilers? That's on you to manage that, not us. We're not waiting a week until you finally watch the game because what if you don't watch it? If you don't want to hear the conversation and haven't watched it, it's up to you to manage your own spoilers, okay? I'd probably say the same thing, 48 hours, if it's some sort of appointment viewing that some people have, like The Bachelor or Bachelorette or something like that, can't leave you all out of the mix either. Appointment viewing, 48 hours, that's the rule. Now listen, we got to have a rule on the other side of this too. If you're part of the group talking about a movie, a TV series, or a game, and someone voluntarily removes themselves temporarily to avoid the spoilers, you got 15 minutes to get it all out. And then you have to invite Chuck back into the mix. Now, if it's sports, we're going to say 20 minutes if it's one of your favorite teams. 25 minutes if it's a playoff game and 30 minutes if it's your favorite team in a playoff game. You go any longer than 30 minutes, just send Chuck home. Tell him you'll talk to him tomorrow. Okay, those are the rules. Those are the spoiler rules as I declare them today. No spoilers? Sure, to a point. But at some point, you have to own the fact that your viewing priorities didn't match ours. joining me this week is Lindsay Titus, an educator for 16 years. Lindsay has worked as a classroom teacher and behavioral specialist in public school, residential, and private settings. She is currently an assistant principal and she is driven to teach other educators how to transform connections and relationships with all students. She also helps educators transform their own lives by finding their authentic purpose and their passion both inside and outside the classroom. Lindsay is also the host of the Define University, and that U is spelt Y-O-U, the Define University podcast, to which I am a subscriber. So I'm very much looking forward to having Lindsay here. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. This is obviously our first time meeting face-to-face. We've been connected online, and certainly I've been a consumer of your content, and we've exchanged messages and things like that. But of course, this is the first time face-to-face. Uh, I'm a listener of your podcast. I'm a follower of your work. So I am really excited that you're here today, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So before, though, we dive into the substance of the conversation that we're going to have today, highlight for us, I, I gave some of the highlights in the introduction, but maybe put a little more substance behind the, the resume, the 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 journey so far. You know, where did you begin your career? How did you end up where you are today as someone who's really focused on the adults in the education system in terms of both how they guide student behavioral change, as well as how they rediscover their own passions for life in and outside the classroom. So take us through that journey, Lindsay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think what's unique, as you mentioned, is I've had a lot of roles in education in a variety of different settings, and that was not intentional. That was not my plan going into this career. Um, You know, way back in second grade was the year that I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. I had a phenomenal second grade teacher. I had just moved to Buffalo from Canada, and she made me feel so welcome. She made me feel apart, even though I had, you know, I sounded different. I really didn't know what was going on. And she really kind of planted that seed. And that seed was very much like my goal for really all through high school, through college. I had no doubts, I'm gonna be a teacher. In college, I fell in love with the field, the the specialized programming within special education. So I was like, okay, great. I'm narrowed in a little bit more. I'm gonna be a special educator. That's gonna be my career, that's it. I I landed a job my first year out where I had student taught. About three months in, I was like, I don't wanna do this anymore. And it was so scary because of like, wait a second, I just, this was my life's passion. This is what I, the only thing that I had, that I'd seen myself doing. And I luckily had some really supportive mentors and friends around me that said, just keep at it, keep at it. You can do this. Um, And I ended up teaching for about five years in a self-contained special education classroom. During that time, though, you know, I noticed I was going home and I think something that's really important for, for educate anybody, but educators, especially is pay attention to our thoughts, right? Sometimes I think we want to run away from those thoughts. We want to just like take the teacher hat off and be like, I don't want to think about it till tomorrow. But I found myself really paying attention to those thoughts at night. What was keeping me up? What was, what couldn't I figure out? And at that time it was behavior. I was going home, you know, really thinking about my students' behavior. Why can't I get this kid to do that? What is happening? Where's the disconnect? Why is he doing this? Why is she doing that? And that was the part that I really had no answers. You know, in my both undergrad and master's, I had had like one class in in management and behavior. So I really was lost. And so I went back to school at that point and became um, a board certified behavior analyst. And really fell in love with behavior change and studying human development, why do we do the things we do. And so the next 10 years, I really had different roles in, um, in behavior. So behavior specialist behavior consultant, you know, lots of different labels but different areas. I worked for a non-for-profit for a long time um, and I very well might still be there if it didn't close. It closed automatically. I didn't have a choice to leave that one. That one, that that chapter ended um, outside of my control. Um, I did some in-home therapy. I worked at a residential center. Um, Ultimately, though, my family goals became really important, and I wanted to get back into the public school um, sector as I had started. And so I, at my current district, I was a behavior specialist for four years, and then last year transitioned into assistant principal, where I am now, heading into year two um, as that. So the behavior piece kind of stemmed from those early years. The wellness, the burnout, the understanding who you are, that came because I had my own burnout. I was ready to be done. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, And I was a chaser. I kept finding, you know, well, maybe this job will be the job where I finally have balance. Maybe this will be the job where I can finally feel like I want to feel. And what I finally realized is I was never going to find it outside of myself. It always had to come from within. And so I learned how to do that inner work, which is what I then teach and coach, because it's not, we don't often learn it if we don't seek it out to, to do that. So, once I had learned it and done it myself, I could teach others. And I think that's a huge thing. Like, we all have skills that we can teach others. And so, as soon as I felt like I was comfortable in my own skin, in what I could do, and really had this renewed passion for life inside and outside of the classroom. I was able then to share that. And so that's really where Define University came from so I could coach Mm -hmm. others so they too could be living this lifestyle because it's totally doable for anybody out there.
0: Right. It's it's so fascinating to me that so many of us, um, generally, we, we try to chase that happiness. We try to chase that satisfaction with something outside, something tangible. And time and time again, we come back to the idea that this is, what do they call that? This is an inside job. This is something where within ourselves, we need to, we need to find that and stop chasing it from the outside. But I think, Lindsay, we have to go back to something you mentioned, which I'm sure listeners, you may have heard it in the beginning, uh, you lived in Canada. And of course, being someone who is from Canada, from Vancouver, um, we always get excited when Canada is mentioned. So um, are you Canadian or are you just a wannabe? What's happening here, Lindsay? Talk to me about this Canada experience you had.
1: <laughs> so I was I was born in Canada. I was born in Brampton, outside of Toronto.
0: Absolutely. I uh, so knew I liked you.
1: And- <laughs> <laughs> um, I am American. I became American when I was 21. So I went through the whole naturalization um, process um, when I was 21 and have been a citizen since. But other than my immediate family, everybody else still lives um, in and around Ontario. Um, so I haven't seen them in a few years, um, but I'm excited that yeah. the borders have opened up and I can now um, start seeing them a little bit more often.
0: So so are you were you a Canadian citizen by birth and then you Changed your citizenship? Or do you have dual citizenship at this point?
1: I don't. So I had to pick. So apparently, oh, you're ahead. over 18, you have to say <laughs> which one you want. Oh, and so okay. I knew, you know, I was going to be in the States. Um At that point, I had met who's now my now husband. And so, you know, yeah, I was like, yeah. we're just gonna, we're gonna do it. Um right. But yes, have those Canadian roots, um for sure. All right.
0: Once a Canadian, always a Canadian. <laughs> Lindsay, you're always welcome back a- across the border. Of course, <laughs> you 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 know how it works. Now, li- listen, we are uh, in, in late August here, and at this point, every educator is either you know been back to work for a month they've been back to work for a few weeks or they are on the cusp of going back to work uh, just after labor day so everyone at this point is in startup mode um and i want to talk to you about that from from an educator's perspective i you know i i'm sure that real balance in education is really hard to achieve because listen the job is just that demanding but I, but I do think it's important that educators find some semblance of balance to sustain themselves throughout the year. And so often teachers, administrators, even central office staff come back and they say, OK, this is the year. This is the year I maintain balance. This is the year I pull it all together. Um, but inevitably, for so many, that plan unravels and they're right back where they swore they never were going to be. They're overwhelmed and they're just trying to survive. So from your perspective, Lindsay, um, what are some of the most effective strategies or approaches that you've seen that help educators, teachers, administrators, help them avoid that physical and or that emotional drop off that can happen during the year?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it absolutely can. Right. So I, I think of kind of two things. I think the first I think it was kind of like the resolutions, right, that we set resolutions in January and by February they're gone. Um, I used to be a resolution person. I am not anymore. Um, I do pick a word for each year. Um, I'll tie this in in just a second. But I also, I think what's more important that I do each year is I reassess the standards that I live by. So many people will set boundaries. I don't necessarily do boundaries because I think boundaries will get broken at certain times and places. And then I know for myself, I always felt like, oh, I broke that boundary, got to start over. Whereas for me, I pick standards that I live by. So standard for me is I check my energy. I check in on my own energy every single day. That way I don't get to you know, the middle of the year and I realize, man, my energy's gone because I've checked it every single day. That's a standard I live by, it's a non-negotiable. So I think part of this process is to also knowing that how you 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 almost can like know how you're gonna feel, right? Like if every year, if you know yourself, if, if you and just think about it, right? By about November, December, are you a November person? Are you a December, maybe you're a March. You know, where is it that, you know, if we have this information, I, I, I coach this on, you know, student behavior all the time. If you have a student's behavior, you can do like preventative, you know, pre, um, kind of visualization, right? If this student does this, I'm going to do this. Well, it's the same thing here you can do for yourself. You know, here's, I'm going to do these things. I, knowing that I myself get frustrated, get less energy in November. Here's what I'm going to do. Like own it, right? I guess is what what I'm trying to say is like own that it's gonna happen. Don't try and like hide from it. Be honest with yourself. Because then you're gonna be more in tune to using strategies. So a couple that I absolutely love is I a couple years ago dropped the word balance. Again, I'm a very big word person and a visual person. So for me, balance, I think of a scale, I think science class, and I think 50-50. And we all know that's not possible. So I switched balance for blended. And so I always say I live a blended lifestyle, but I'm always 100% me. And so if I'm starting to feel, again, off balance, I'll use that word. Like if I'm starting to feel off centered, I will remind myself I'm 100% me. And what does that mean? That means on some days I might work 80% and I might have family 20%. That, that, is, that is actual, that might happen. But I then get to choose maybe Saturday then is 95% family, 5% define you. I get to decide and so do you, right? You get to decide what those percentages are. Now you don't have to get so analytical, but it's that, it's that concept that you get to blend it all together if it's meaningful to you. So I keep that mindset at the forefront. Um, and then do those energy check-ins. I do them like about three times a day. When I first started, I put um, you know, reminders on my phone and would have them and I just do like a one to five mental scale. Where am I? If I'm like five, I'm like four or five, I'm good awesome. I celebrate it. If I'm like a one or a two, okay, what am I going to do to raise my energy? Do I need water? Did I eat yet today? Um, Do I need to go walk around my building? Do I need to get outside? Do I need to phone a friend? Like, what do I need to kind of get, do I need to listen to some music? I have an energizer um, playlist on my phone. Do I need to like listen to some pump me up music? Those truly do because it brings it all to the present, right? Brings it all to this very moment, which is where we can make change happen. The other thing is Schedule in advance, right? Schedule things that you're gonna look forward to. I always do at the beginning of every month, I pick two days on the weekends where I put a big heart on the calendar. Those are me days. And right now they're me slash family days. You know, they're they're I get to decide. So that if someone calls me up and says, Hey, do you want to come and do this? And I look and there's a heart, I'm gonna pause for a second and say, you know what, I already planned something that day. Could we do another day? Or maybe I say yes if it is something I want. The point is. So often, I hear from so many people, and I was in the same boat, you know, we get to the end of the month, we're like, man, where'd my weekends go, right? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything that I wanted to. Well, you got to schedule it in. So if you know December is your tough, go schedule things now, right? Figure out what it is you love. If you want to get away, if you want to have, you know, whatever it is that, that brings you joy, go schedule it, get it on your calendar now so that you're not trying to do it reactively. You're, you can actually do it proactively to make sure it happens. Um yeah. the last thing is kind of know your own pain points, right? So know what drains your energy because that's that's you, right? So for me, it was to-do list. To-do list drained my energy completely, right? Just looking at it, I would have this moment of panic like never going to get done, I can't do it all. And so I shifted. I a to-do list for me is no more than 3 things. I use a Post-it because it that fits small things. Anything more goes on a brain dump list and it's, that's, that's it. It's not a to-do list. It's a brain dump. It's just something I thought of. So for me, I don't even have to, I don't really even use to-do lists anymore. Like it's gotten to the point where I'm like, it'll get done. I'll put it on my calendar and it's done. Boom. I don't need to write it on a list because that was draining my energy, right? I wasn't feeling productive. Therefore, I wasn't feeling worthy. Then you're feeling down and that's just, that doesn't feel good. But you have to know what's your own pain point. So then you can figure, you know, think of a way to kind of counteract that. But I think it really is being prepared. It's knowing what's coming and making sure that we're already kind of thinking ahead so we can start practicing those today when we are calmer, when we are a little bit less uh, chaotic, I'll say.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. I've often thought about the expression over the years that if it's predictable, it's preventable. And I think that's really what you're referring to here is that unless you're brand new to the profession, you have a sense of what your year might look like and and therefore you can kind of know where those ups and downs come from. The idea of being metacognitive, right? Being aware of yourself. It's interesting to me that so often we as educators talk about the importance of metacognition for students in terms of their own learning. And yet we ourselves don't make the connection to how important it is to be reflective and metacognitive about our own wellness and our, and our own ups. Why do you think that is? Just to throw that at you, why, why do you think we, we fail to make that connection sometimes as educators?
1: I think because every, every definition of teaching is always student driven. It's always about student learning, student growth. Um, it, it's really not ever centered on like, who who am I, right? I've always said mm-hmm. if, I, if I could go back or one of my big lofty goals is to, you know, redo some like new teacher prep programs and have a mindset course in there or a self, you know, self-help sounds, sounds corny, but, you know, where you learn this mindset work. Because mm-hmm. you lose yourself so quickly, we're so compassionate to our students. We forget. I think. I think we solely forget because it's that's not what is prioritized.
2: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: if we don't prioritize it for ourselves, nobody's going to do it for us. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I to me, that's it. I just think it's not prioritized as much as you know. You think teacher. You think students, right? Student growth. That's usually the word association that would come. We don't think teacher, self understanding
0: yeah we we have been both conditioned outside but also inside put students at the center and therefore to sacrifice our personal time uh, our, our you know any any downtime because we should always be putting our students at the center. And then society has a tendency to make teachers feel guilty about, mm-hmm taking time for themselves as well. So I think it's a, it's wise advice to, to set up some sort of system or think about a way that you can manage your wellness ahead of time rather than when you're in the midst of the chaos. And now it's triage as opposed to having a plan uh, to maintain that. Now, um, beginning of the year, of course, it's also a time for us to build strong relationships with students. And you know, this is this is the time where we forge those relationships and they don't necessarily develop overnight. You don't just walk in in the first week and you've got this deep relationship. And for some students, you know, it takes them a long time to kind of let their guard down. Who is this adult and who am I working with here? But if we think about this more generically, um, what are some ways that so two questions, what are some ways that teachers, educators, can begin to build really strong, and I think the key word for me is authentic relationships with their students. And the second part is what does that mean to you? What does it mean to have an authentic, a strong, authentic relationship with your students? How do I know I've got that kind of relationships with my kids?
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing that is so important for educators to do is really define the words that you're using, right? So, and probably no surprise, I mean, my business is Define University. So like defining (laughs) words is really important to me. But if you, I think it's a really great exercise for your listeners to do right now, like jot down what does strong mean to you? And what does authentic mean to you? Because if you don't have those, that basis, right, of a definition, anything's going to sound good. Anything's going to, you know, be in there. And so for me, I think doing that first, right? So, so strong, and I kind of lump them together. So strong and authentic sure. to me means both individuals are showing up as themselves. So if we break that down even further, that means I have to know myself. And then my student has to know themselves. Well, I work in a junior high, my students don't know themselves yet. They do at a surface level, right? I mean, right. they're learning yeah. and they, they learn every day, but I also have to honor that. And so I think if we are looking to create relationships, which I don't think there's an educator out there that wouldn't say that's not, you know, the, the number one importance, but I think we also have to remember it is a process. It's something that you practice every single day. To me, you know, as I said, I don't love to-do lists, but to, and the reason for it is because I think the things that really should be on to-do lists are things like that, right? Connecting with students, building relationships. Um Gratitude practice. Those are things we get to practice every single day, both as educators and just human beings. Mm-hmm. And so for me, showing up as, you know, having that strong, authentic relationship with a student is completely anchors to honesty. It's not sugarcoated. It's not, you know, just, just a positive, you're doing great, but you're able to have those real courageous conversations with your students at the level that they're at, right? It's going to look very different with a kindergartner. Than it is a ninth grader. Um, and so I think being able to agree and disagree, you know, with, respectfully with one another, um, being able to share insights that match the relationship, right? So a teacher or, you know, an AP to a student is going to be different than, you know, me to my own child at home. Um, to me, it comes down to not taking things personally, but staying personally connected to that person, right? Um, and also learning to hear through what they're saying. So I think when you're, when it's authentic, you're able to know that there's a filter, right? When I'm hearing things, I'm going to filter it based on my own bias, based on my own experiences, based on who I am. And so really making sure that I am working with that, um, that student to fully understand where they're coming from. But I think I I could go on for hours, but the easy answer (laughs) is that it's honest. It's it's an honest understanding between two people.
0: Yeah, that honesty, showing up as yourself. I love that. That's the authenticity. I think when it's strong, it can withstand the ups and downs, the disagreements, uh, because you know that there is there is a strength or a bond there for sure. I want to throw a scenario your way because I think many teachers kind of face this scenario that can be challenging. Let's, let's imagine that this year I'm a classroom teacher and I'm teaching a student that I had last year. Um, and last year, our relationship, let's just say our relationship was tense. And we didn't, you know, it was just less than favorable. We really didn't get along. It's not about, you know, assigning blame. It's just, it is what it is. We had a really rough year together and we just didn't sort of align. And now next year or the, this coming school year, here I am, I'm teaching that same student Um What what is some advice that you would give to that teacher as they go in, they look at that class roster and they kind of have that moment of pause where they think, oh boy, here we go again. And students probably thinking the same thing when they look at their schedule. So advice for teachers on how to handle a situation where you're teaching a student that you had before where the relationship was less than favorable.
1: Yeah, so I think it's two parts, right? So I think the first part is we have to work through those, oh my goodness, feelings first. Do those out, do those at home, do those in your office or your classroom. Don't do them with the student um, right. because we have to, again, we need my, one of my goals is to help people stop running from their emotions. Right. I think so often we like, you shouldn't feel that. And I have a thing with should, you know, get out of shouldville because it doesn't, it, it's not a good place to be. And so if you look at your class roster and you get that feeling, honor it, say, Okay, I'm feeling something. What is, where is this coming from, right? It's that, it's that trigger component. What, what about this is triggering me? What didn't happen last year that I want to happen this year? That reflection piece. And it doesn't mean it has to take all day or all week. It can be a five, 10 minute, you know, little activity. But if we don't honor the, the, um, that, that immediate emotional response we had, it's gonna it's, we're gonna see it in the classroom. Because there's going to be no way because we haven't addressed it. And in order, you know, I always think um, emotions are energy in motion. They're meant to move. So if we try and stuff it down, and this is coming from someone, not the notorious like stuffer, like I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. Not going to happen. Yeah. That was me for years. Now I get that feeling. I'm like, oh, where'd that come from? What's that telling me? What do I need? What am I looking to unpack? So I think we have to do that work so we know what is going on. And then when we're in that place, again, I think it comes back to an honest conversation with the student where we are owning our part, right? Like I'm here to recognize that last year did not go how I, how I would have wanted. I'm curious your thoughts, like, and give them the time and space, right? Give them the floor to agree or disagree. Um, and really to not force, you know, I think it's really important that we don't force a relationship because some students, as you alluded to earlier, just aren't ready for it. And right. I use that, I'm very real with it, the students that I work with to say, you know, I understand if you might not be ready. Know that I am here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep showing up. This is how I like to show up. Does that work for you? How, how would you like me to show up? How would you like me to, to know that? Um, because I think something I always come back to too is we want to be you know, 100% invested, right? 100% invested in this relationship. But I'm only 50% of that relationship, right? A relationship has to be two people. So if it's me and a student. I can only I can bring one hundred percent of me, but it's only fifty percent. And so, not forcing it and having I think a lot of small conversations. Right, this is the power of like the thirty seconds at a time versus we're going to sit down for an hour and have a powwow. Like that's not probably going to do much. But if we just show up in whatever that looks like, the haze, the highs, the how was the game last night? You know, hey, I noticed this just asking questions, even, you know, Hey, my, my nephew is your age and his birthday's coming up. Any ideas for a present? Like just things that you can get the student talking. Um, I think take some of that formality out of it. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. It, you know, as you were talking there, you reminded me of that expression. It's more about friendship necessarily than teacher-student relationships, but it still, I think, holds true that friendship isn't one big thing. It's a million little things. And it seems that building a relationship is and, and recovering from that, say, 10th year that you had last year is not about the big, epic conversation it's about the little things, it's the day-to-day interactions and slowly beginning to shift the paradigm around that relationship. So that makes a lot of sense to me for sure. And we still know, of course, Lindsay, that uh, tough days are going to happen to us, whether it's with students, whether it's with parents who are upset with you. Um, maybe there's a colleague with whom you have some tension, um, a particularly challenging situation with a student or whatever. Now, uh, going to your podcast now, in episode 92... Um, you walked listeners through uh, four steps to you, that you use to rebound from, from a tough day. So I, I thought maybe you could share that with us. You know, you, the tough days happen. This is a really challenging profession. We're going to have those tough days. What are the strategies? How do we rebound from a tough day and not let that become a tough week or a tough month?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's so important to recognize again, they will happen, right? And yeah. i I will always go back to I, again, I used to be someone like, if the first 30 minutes of the day were challenging, it was the day was ruined, right? It's a challenging day. So I think even just the way that we talk about the days or talk about these moments is really important. So now I've shifted my language that it's not a challenging day. It's a day that had challenging moments in it. or it's a day that had some tough moments in it, even if they were all day. I just, I don't want to say all because I guarantee there was some sliver of the day that was not tough, you know, and having, you know, having two young kids at home, like there's no way that a a hug from my kid is ever tough. Like that, that, that's the grateful part of my day, right? Maybe on some days. And so I think it's really important that we do that. But the four steps that I take after these days that have those challenges where you just want to bang your head against the wall, or you're just so frustrated, or in the episode I mentioned for me, it's tears. I have to shut my office door because the tears are coming. That's how I know I've reached you know that point for me. Um, the first step is very very obvious, but it's giving yourself grace. But I go beyond that because I think grace, and and I learned this over the last ten months when I kind of had my own season of pause as I was pregnant with my second child. Is we, I think we say a lot of times that we're gonna we give ourselves grace, but we don't actually practice it. We don't actually put it into action. And so the first step for for rebounding for me is doing that and. It's hard because I can't say here are the five ways to show yourself grace or to practice, but it, it still alludes to feeling the feelings, right? Giving yourself permission to, to sit with it or giving yourself permission to not know the answer, giving yourself permission to figure it out, giving yourself permission to cry, giving yourself permission to call a friend and ask for help. Like, what is it that you're going to do to really show yourself that you are human, <laughs> that you are allowed to have these, these emotions. Um, the second one is feel the feels is sit with the emotion. That's so hard for so many of us. I always say, start with 15 seconds. Cause again, anytime I say a strategy, I think so many of us, our minds go, that's going to take so long. And I don't have time in my day to do another thing. I want you to flip that. I want you to honor that. There's always enough time. Just make that switch right now because there truly is always enough time. And then you're not chasing more time. Um, but sit for 15 seconds and see what, what is that actual feeling? Is it truly boredom? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it frustration? Is it happiness? What is it? Label it so that we can then move forward. The third step is to find some gratitude in, in something. So I do it in the situation. I'm at the, I'm at a point now where I will say, I'm grateful for this. This is pushing me. This is pushing me outside my comfort zone. I'm doing something that's probably really hard. That's why it's challenging me. And I'm grateful for that because I know I'm going to grow. I didn't start out there. I started out, I'm grateful for every other positive thing, right? I'm grateful for a supportive principle. I'm grateful for that cup of coffee I had this morning. I'm grateful for the sunshine. You can't do it wrong. That's the beauty with gratitude. You cannot do right. that practice wrong. Um, and so practice that gratitude. And then the fourth step is to really anchor in and learn the lesson. And that may not happen that day. Um, But everything is happening to teach us so we can grow and we can expand in who we are. And so when we can, through reflection, through honestly, just thinking about it, sometimes talking about it, writing it out, when we find the lesson, that's how we know it was purposeful. There still was a reason that that day was challenging. Um, And when we find that lesson, then we can, it's a little bit easier to move forward and not kind of try and hold on to it, right? We can like detach Mm -hmm. and let it be. And now it's a new day.
0: I know that uh, some people kind of bristle at this idea of everything happens for a reason. And I know that can be cliche at sometimes, but I I do think it's important for us to take lessons out of these experiences. And a lot of times you don't know what that lesson is or that quote unquote reason is until after the fact. And it really isn't about like, this is divine intervention causing you grief for a month or a week, but it's really about the idea that how am I growing as an individual, right? I also really appreciated your um, the idea of feel the feels. That, That resonated with me when I first listened to that episode, because that's something I I learned to do over the course of my career, which is to give myself like own those feelings, give myself an opportunity to honor those feelings, even if it's for a short period of time, have my pity party, and then find a way to move forward on it. And uh, I certainly appreciated those strategies as well. I want to finish up with something else that you talked about on your podcast as well in past. Nothing like everybody bringing up all your past episodes, right? Um, but something else you talked about on the podcast, and I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, and I, but I want to expand on this. And that's this idea of, um, how do I know the difference between procrastination and rest, right? I think as teachers, you know, administrators, we can always be working. There's the job is never done. There's always something that could be done. And so am I procrastinating? Am I resting? Like, I I think you did allude to this a little bit tangentially, but I want to come back to it because I think this is a really important point for educators that we've got to find time to rest. We've got to find time for our own wellness. But how do I know the difference between procrastinating and rest?
1: Mm-hmm. So I look at them, and this might be the behavior the behavior side of me. I look at procrastination as reactive. I'm not doing something because I'm reacting to a stressful situation, um, just feeling overwhelmed, right? More of some of those more, I'm going to call them negative, but they're not really negative, but negative side of the emotion. Whereas for me, rest, I label rest, resting with intention. So that's, again, I mentioned standards in the beginning of the um, episode. I rest with intention every day. Now, some days that's three minutes. <laughs> some days <laughs> it's an hour, right? It, it varies. The difference is before I rest, whatever that looks like, maybe it's a walk, doesn't mean, you know, laying down, but it might be a walk, listening to a podcast, um, going to a park, you know, whatever it might be, I, in my head, I say, I am resting to, and then what what's the purpose? Why am I resting right now? To give my mind, you know, an opportunity to just relax from today, to, Uh, spend time with my daughter so that I can be ready for the meeting I'm having in an hour, whatever, whatever it is, right. There's no right or wrong, but I think that's the difference, right? Procrastination, you're generally running from something and resting is you're getting to me, you're getting ready for something. So I look at them as kind of opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, and I think if you kind of want to figure out which one it is, ask yourself why, Right? Why am I not doing X, Y, and Z? Or why do I feel this way about X, Y, and Z? I think resting usually has more of a purpose. I'm procrastinating is I'm kind of avoiding something.
0: <laughs> yeah, we and we all tend to do that for sure. <laughs> I sometimes subscribe to this notion of do something. So I've often found myself in situations where, like, I don't feel like writing, or I don't feel like editing, or I don't feel like doing some heavy lifting. So I say, well, you got to do something. You've got to let's make this time productive. And I do something, sort of, some of the menial tasks, right? Do some paperwork or do some, you know, uh, getting things organized or whatever. So I find myself at least getting productive when I have those moments where I just don't feel like doing the heavy lifting. Uh, finding those ways to uh, to to at least keep moving forward, even if it's a menial task, I can I can get something done. Um, any, uh, before we finish up here, Lindsay, any final words of wisdom or, or advice for educators as they embark on the 2022-23 school year? What are some things, obviously, the pandemic is still around, uh, not the same as it was a few years ago, but it's still there and something we also have to deal with. So any, any final thoughts, words of wisdom as people sort of get energized for the new school year?
1: Yeah, so I, I use analogies a lot. Um, and so the analogy I want to share is, and it's ironic you're wearing a hat because it has to do with a hat.
0: <laughs> um, All right, perfect.
1: But I I do what's your vision? Is it hat on or hat off? And mm-hmm. so what that means is, you know, if you have a ball cap on, your your field of vision is limited. You're a little bit skewed. You can turn your head and look, you know, left and right, but just your periphery is blocked a little bit. Whereas mm-hmm. if you take your hat off, you have a much wider view. And so my my reminder with that is to remember that there's going to be situations that you need your hat on. You have to stay focused. You got to stay in your lane, do your thing, um, and and trust that that's the that's the way to go. There's going to be other times. Maybe it's a you know a new unit you can explore with or a new strategy. Like take the hat off, expand, and just kind of take it all in and recognize your whole year does not have to be hat on like head down like let's go 100 miles an hour you can take the hat off and truly look around, see what your neighbor teacher is doing, see what the person down the hall is doing. Um, you know, find a friend online and see what they're, what, what's going on, you know, check in with them. And, you know, so I've heard it kind of relate to like front view, uh, like front, uh, front row at the theater and then balcony view. You know, I just, I think you just, just know that you're going to have both. And know that that's okay. Give yourself permission to to take the hat. I think as educators, sometimes we just need permission to take the hat off in that analogy. um, Because we do say so, it's okay to take the hat off and go just be you this weekend and let schoolwork stay at school. Like that is okay. But I think the reason it's so hard for so many of us is because we don't give ourselves permission to do it. Because it becomes a should. And So stay out of shouldville by honoring, I'm taking the hat off and I'm going to leave it here and it's going to be there and I'm going to put it on with pride Monday morning and I'm going to be there for it but understand you're going to ebb and flow with that throughout the year.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And I think one more thing I might add. Uh, hey, I like your analogy, but I'm going to add something to it. That's not really what I'm doing here. But what it makes me think of is that our our hats are on and off at different points during the year. So if for example as a teacher your hat is on and you're focused and someone else's hat is off, that that is not the time for the, wow, must be nice to not have to be so this or must be nice not have to do that. It makes me think that we need to be able to step back a little bit from that, And honor the fact that our ebbs and flows are different from one another. And because your hat is on doesn't mean my hat needs to be on that I could maybe be pulling back a little bit have that balcony view while you're in the front row. Because at some point during the year, you're going to be in the balcony, and I'm going to be in the front row, I'm going to have my hat on, you're going to have my hat off. I think we need to be kind to one another and not sort of eat our own as we on occasion can sometimes do when we're in the midst of our, our chaos as well. So two, two questions as we finish up today, Lindsay, uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, These are questions that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast uh, and here's the first one, and you can take this in, in any direction that you want to. uh, But educationally speaking, the question is what, what keeps you up at night?
1: So we, we kind of alluded to it earlier and it really relates to this concept of how do, how do, how do I help teachers? How do we help teachers define who they are? How do we allow teachers to be more than the teacher um, and be proud of that, right? How do we, you know, change or or alter or update, revamp, whatever it is, you know, new teacher programs so that they're coming in knowing values and missions and, and all of these things for themselves as well as their classrooms, Um, I think that's such a big part that's missing. Um, and so I'm constantly racking my brain, like what are other ways that, that we can get this work into the, into the world? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. That definitely uh, is a, a a worthy reason to be kept up at night for sure. Uh, last question as we finish up today, and, and uh, this is a question you can answer personally, you can answer it professionally, you can answer it in both ways. Again, take this in any directions you want, but it really has to do with how you personally define success. If a random person stopped you on the street and asked you, what is your definition of success? How would you answer them?
1: So... If, it, if you had asked me this question five years ago, I would have given you some like tangible response, right? Like yeah. when this happens, I will be successful because success for me was always something you attained. And again, through all of this work that I've done, I've learned that if you have something in out here in, in the future, it's going to stay in the future. So we've got to bring it into the present day. So today, if you were to ask me that, I would say this moment right here. This moment right here is successful because or it's just success because I'm here. And there's purpose and there's passion and I'm in the present moment. And to me, that's what's so important. Um, one of the quotes that's in the, my journal is I'm perfect in, this, in the present moment um, because it's not something to achieve. It's, it's who I'm showing up as because that's all I know to show up as. So success for me is who you are in every moment, who you're being so that you can continue to learn and grow into, into future you know, days, moments, whatever you might call it.
0: That's yeah, really interesting. The idea that success is not so much a, a destination, but a series of moments where we are authentic, we show up and there's passion, there's purpose. And, and we are here in this present moment and that, that makes us successful. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, listeners, you really can and should connect with Lindsay. Uh, you can find her uh, on social media, Twitter. The handle is at L Titus 828. Uh, that's the Twitter handle. On Instagram, the handle is at Lindsay Titus EDU. Uh, the, her website is www.defineuniversity.com. Again, remember that U in university is Y-O-U. And of course, she is uh, a podcaster as well. She she hosts the Define University uh, show uh, podcast with, with Lindsay Titus. Lindsay, you've been on about a 10-month hiatus. Uh, uh, you're about to bring some episodes back. You mentioned that you had just had your second child. Uh, so congratulations on, on, on your second child. And of course, we've seen picture, pictures on Instagram. Uh, and, uh, of course, like they're just. They're great pictures, cute pictures, and uh, certainly you are—you—you you, you appear to be thriving. As a, I wouldn't say new mother because you're not a new mother, but you're a renewed mother to an <laughs> infant uh, in 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 the in the work. So we, as selfishly as listeners, we're going to look forward to some new content coming out on the podcast. Listeners, I'll have links for all of the uh, social media handles, the website, and the podcast in the show notes as we go. Lindsay, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, to meet with you. Thanks for being here. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Thank you so much. I so appreciate the time and I had a blast. So thank you. This podcast is a proud member of
2: the teach better podcast network, better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbettercom com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: All right. Assess that Tom and Nat. Welcome back, Natalie. Hey, Tom. Uh, good to see you again. And uh, this of course is our last, uh, recording of the Assess That with Tom and Nat over the summer. I have a feeling we're going to revisit this uh, throughout the school year at times. I think mm. we'll, we'll set some plans to have you come back and continue to talk about assessment. But for now, this is our last session for the summer. And you had suggested a topic that we explore today. And that is the idea of sustaining change. So what's on your mind with yeah. sustaining change and moving in that direction?
2: Well, first of all, I think we we just made plans for this to happen again. So that's a thing. <laughs> We're gonna manifest that.
0: <laughs> secondly,
2: go. I feel like this conversation's come up for me a lot in the past couple weeks. and perhaps it's because of what's going on in BC and there's some big reporting changes coming. But I've been hearing shreds of that age-old tale of, oh, this is just another fad in education and the pendulum's going to swing and then it's going to swing a different way. And there is really that ethos in the educational space that everything's just a flash in the pan and nothing actually sticks, which really begs the question, then how do you actually sustain change? Like if we're talking about something like standards based grading or sound assessment principles, this isn't new. Like some of the research right. into why we need a course scale with fear levels is like a century old. So how do we actually in our communities take action in a way that sticks long term? And then a follow up question to that I think I have is what's the tipping point? So if you're in a school community and you're really passionate about making these changes stick, how do you know when it's tipped past the point of no return? So right. I'm going to throw it to you first and hear your thoughts.
0: It's an interesting thing that um, some will say. I think there's a number of different reasons why people say, oh, this is just a fad. Everything old is new again, swinging the pendulum. And I, my experience has taught me that that more often than not is a way of opting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either a way of, of uh like reducing or dismissing a, a significant or an important change with a sort of cynical view, uh, you know, over your glasses, over top of your reading glasses. And, oh, we've seen this before. It's a way of opting out. But but one of the things I also learned is that sometimes what looks like resistance or hesitation is a lack of understanding or a lack of clarity. And so what's really mm-hmm. hard for some is to admit that there's a different way. And that I've been doing certain things for 20 to 25 years, for example. And now mm-hmm. a new reporting order in BC comes along, new changes happen in our school. And I don't really understand it. So it's easier for me to save face and just say, that's a bad idea. Everything old is new again. Oh, here we go again with another fad. Someone's doing their PhD, you know, those types of cynical views. So for Mm -hmm. me, you know, that, that pendulum swing, I think in order to avoid that, we have to make sure that what we're implementing is grounded in sound principles or sound research, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not Tom's thing. It's not Natalie's thing. It's not my opinion. You know, often when I talk about grading, I talk about standards-based grading. I make sure people know right off the bat that we are not going to have a philosophical conversation about grading because we don't need a grading philosophy. We need grading practices that align with sound assessment principles and practices. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that can kind of undercut the whole notion that it's just a trend, it's just a fad, uh, that type of idea. So uh, yeah. that for me would be my initial reaction to that yeah. comment. Um, I, I think we can maybe get to that tipping point do you want to get to that now? Or we can maybe go to that a little bit later. But that for me is my initial yeah. reaction is when somebody says that it feels more like they're trying to find, trying to opt out of the change rather yeah, than lean totally. into a potential change that could be better.
2: Yeah. It's those limiting beliefs, right? That people will throw up and as a way to say, Oh, guess I can't do it. Right. What, what yeah. are you going to do? Um, the right. idea of grounding really resonates with me as you were talking, because I think often we forget to ground things that we want to implement in a really, really solid why. And I know this is nothing new and we hear this all of the time. We know Simon Sinek's golden circle and all of that. But Mm -hmm. I think really investing time in clarifying a really aspirational vision of why we are doing this, like what is the outcome that we seek that will require us to take up this learning again and again and again. And then just when we thought we're done, we're going to have to take it up again because that outcome of empowering learners is forever going to be something we can keep picking up strategies to work towards um and you did this so well in the in the six in the tenants framework in the essential assessment book where you've got hope efficacy and achievement but i think putting those things at the center and i had a colleague that once called our assessment framework that we've made in my last context an apple store and finally asked him i was like what do you mean by that (laughs) an apple store like (laughs) selling ipads or something and he said no it's that everybody is invited into it and nobody can argue against it. It's just, right. we're talking about being purposeful, accurate, informative, empowering. Like these are all yeah. things that people go, yeah, of course I want that of my in my assessment practice. And it opens up a conversation Absolutely. to continue learning towards that continuously. Because yeah, sure. I don't think we should ever stop learning when it comes to assessment and grading. Mm-hmm. It's truly one of those areas where it's like, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. And mm-hmm. you just have to keep, keep going
0: if people were honest, uh, they would recognize and realize. And, and and inside, I think they know this stuff doesn't just fall out of the sky. And that's an expression I've been using a lot lately, because one of the advantages of, I suppose, being older, I don't want to say I'm old, but I'm being older <laughs> and having, you know, this now being my 32nd year in education, going into the fall, uh, you have some historical perspective, and you recognize that a lot of the work, for example, the fewer, more clearly distinguishable levels, grading on levels versus the percentage scale, that didn't just come out of the sky where people just decided to disrupt the grading system for no reason. Mm-hmm. There's there's research mm-hmm. behind that. And I mm-hmm. think that most most will understand if you get them in a private moment, they'll understand that it's more about being overwhelmed with having to change what I do as a teacher in my 27th year or my 21st year, or even my 12th year, you know, it's, 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 we build habits. Um, You talked about uh, the tipping point and how, you know that you've reached a tipping point. And, and one of the things that I've uh, I've learned over the years, there's a couple of ways in which you kind of recognize that you've reached a tipping point. What I, what I've noticed is that, there is that expression, the vocal minority. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the louder the opposition, usually the smaller the group. I don't I don't say that's always true. But when you have the masses behind you in terms of resistance, you often don't need to be that loud because you have the volume of people who are resistant to a change. Now, as... Um, the change unfolds and more and more people adopt the new idea Mm -hmm. and there's different models and frameworks that have illustrated this over the years, but it's something where I noticed that the the more defiant people are, the more, the the more loudly they protest, they think they're having an impact. But the truth is that they're really very much in the minority. And so this is their last ditch effort to try to derail or undercut a a change effort. Again, not always the case. I think that that vocal, minority Mm -hmm. the louder the voices the more the more uh Mm. isolated those individuals are starting to feel in terms of the change and to that point that's when peer pressure starts to work in your favor when you start to recognize that more people have adopted the new practice the new strategy the new idea the new paradigm you start to see peer pressure actually starts to work in your favor in the sense that this is how we do business and this is how Mm. Our school operates from an assessment perspective, and that ends up creating that sort of majority-minority kind of perspective. It's not that we shouldn't Mm -hmm. listen to the resistors. They sometimes have ideas we haven't thought of, and we, of course, have to avoid groupthink. But on the net, I think by and large, I've, I've noticed that the louder the opposition, the more isolated the opposition feels.
2: I hope we can apply that logic to things like, you know an insurrection at a Capitol building, say, I don't know, nothing too specific, but you know, things that are happening in society, because I really, just really, hypothetically right now, just hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like might've happened on like a January date. I don't know. Um, but that's a, I think that's a really good point. And I think, I, yes. And on, because on top of that is so take those loud voices for what they are and recognize maybe that what's happening in the wider community, but another piece of evidence that I like to look for too is, have I created the conditions for a champion to emerge in all of the different kind of sub communities of the school. So, um, for me, I spent a lot of time with the PE team and the, uh, options team, which is like integrated studies or enrichment courses. Um, because they're often left out of professional development that people would be like, I don't know how to they're just, they can just go and prep during that time. But I realized right on that. I'm like, wait, they don't have a lot of the pressure that some of these other teachers of like high school math or physics do around changing assessment and grading. They can really iterate and they, they just got it. Like they understand project-based learning. They know what it looks like to give on the fly feedback. So found a person in those groups that was also really fired up about assessment. They wanted to take it on. They wanted to iterate with their group and then just continue to do that with each pocket. I was like, all right, who do I have in the high school math team that's really fired up about this? How do I spend a lot of time with them elbow to elbow and answer questions? And who do I have in the English team and who do I have? Mm -hmm. And I spent once it clicked in my brain that that was really the secret to the sustainable part of change, I found I was spending 95% of my days actually sitting with people in conversation or co-creating or modeling or coaching in the classrooms with that intention Mm -hmm. though, of making sure I had someone in every setting who was equally as passionate, equally as knowledgeable, equally as driven to make this happen. And so it was weird for people, like people didn't even know where it was coming from. Like, yeah, maybe I was Mm -hmm. up at the front at the beginning, sparking things and saying perhaps we should go in this direction. But I think it's getting those champions in all the communities that is so, so important to keep it moving forward as one.
0: I think that's that's a that's a great point because I when I often work with schools and districts, I say, you know, eventually you've got to get to a place where you don't need me anymore. Where mm-hmm. You don't need an outside expert because you have an internal capacity and you you have sustainability. Yes, you're you're right. At first, there may need to be a person who initiates the change who has some of the expertise. Maybe is a you know as we say one chapter ahead of the kids or or uh, in a position to um, you know begin to initiate some of the big changes. But <clears throat> there there does come a point where you've got to duplicate yourself, you've got to replicate your expertise, you've got to expand the network. So there is a place where uh, we can certainly begin to share that capacity, because at some point, a change can't be dependent upon one person.
2: I could not agree more. In fact, early in my career, a really good piece of advice I got when I was starting down the path of instructional leadership and teacher leadership was the mark of a leader is that the change will sustain after you're gone. And Mm -hmm. I really took that to heart because there are moments when you do have people that are excited and you do have people that want to pick this up. And there's almost, someone once told me the phrase cult of personality that can start to emerge where, especially if you're someone like myself who gets very excited and very passionate about things, um, yeah. it starts to become like people call it your baby or your thing or, and the last thing you want is something like assessment to belong to one person. So I think that is such, such wise advice that, how do we make sure it can sustain? And what are we doing to make sure that it'll stay after we are no longer there to actually continue moving it forward? And then yeah, something else interesting.
0: Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh,
2: go ahead. No.
0: <laughs> well, I was just going to say it's an interesting idea, the cult of personality, because I do think sometimes there is a little bit of charisma that's necessary to kind of initiate the change, mm-hmm. but that can be very alluring to people, to leaders, and realize that, and think that it's their personality that's actually. Um, driving the change where I think we have mm. to recognize that, yes, you might may need to have a clever turn of phrase or some, a little bit of charisma as a leader to initiate some interest in a topic. You know, I don't mean this sort of caricature mm-hmm. of charisma, but I just mean that there's, there's compelling message that is resonating with people. But again, it can't be dependent. Yeah. It can't be Natalie's thing. It can't be Tom's thing. It has to sustain itself beyond, the, beyond the the people. So for beyond the two people or one person who's initiating that change.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when you do recognize that you're falling into that space though of being the person who may be initiated and you have the turns of phrase that come from, you know, years of writing about it or reading about it, mm-hmm. um, you have to constantly be decentering yourself, even in those interpersonal moments of mm-hmm. trying to step back into that coach role. And people will then sometimes come to you wanting advice and tell them, just tell me what to do. But I found it was so important to always be trying to flip my brain back into a place where I was asking questions or really trying to help others to open their minds to possibilities if they're really dug in because they you know they might see you coming and be like oh here we go again you know it's the assessment guru always love that one like it's under my skin um and it's like you like you feel the trigger the trigger happen and you're like (laughs) oh your face goes red and you're like nope yeah in this moment, I am not here to change your mind. I am here to open your mind to the possibilities that right. something else might be true. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Think Again by Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist. On he the has list. oh, so good. He has one of the most fire questions that has served me very well in my practice. And mm-hmm. it's you you let someone say their piece, you know, how they need zeros because fear is the only motivator to get kids to learn cool. Yeah. Let them say their piece, let them keep talking, and then you just ask the question, I'm just curious, what evidence would convince you to change your mind? Like what, what would it be that if you saw it or experienced it, you would maybe mm-hmm. believe that wasn't true and actually get them to answer it. And they basically then coach themselves into a different way of thinking. They'll never admit it to you in front of you though. That's how all of us right, humans right. are with our ego. You just have to carry yourself <laughs> as if change yeah. is right around the corner and you can't see it. You just have to. Well,
0: I suppose if nothing else, they, they might, you know, they'll either talk themselves sort of through and workshop that in front of you. Yep. Or they'll say the quiet part out loud and publicly admit that they're, that nothing, there's nothing you can show me this is I'm convinced of it. Well, then they said it out loud and at least they've been honest and you know where, where they are in this process. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, their colleagues have heard the lack of openness mm-hmm. to even have a conversation mm-hmm. with them. So don't make it about me. Something I often say to groups is don't do anything because I said so and don't not do anything because I said so. Don't make Tom the issue. The, you, know, yeah. you reflect on the content and think about... Uh, the ways that we, we can move forward, the way you can move forward, the way that we can begin to in- in- initiate mm-hmm. some of those changes. Now, I want to go back to this idea of expanding your expertise, because maybe, maybe as we finish up here, we Mm -hmm. can get a little bit granular and specific. Can you talk about specifically, what did you do to build the capacity of your colleagues? Like, how did you, like during meetings, what were Mm -hmm. some of the strategies or the approaches? So as people head into the fall now, and they're sustaining their efforts, and they want to try to expand the expertise in the school, what are some specific ways that you went about that work?
2: Absolutely. One of my favorite days that we had facilitated it's when we were first launching the actual framework is we started by doing uh, essentially literature circles. I don't know if you're like book clubs, book talks, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with those. So we'd actually pulled a chapter from one of your newer books. Uh growing tomorrow's citizens in today's classroom it was that first chapter which is legal to photocopy don't worry I looked into it <laughs> and we had uh, photocopied it and we distributed amongst all the staff we had color-coded stickies on the back and then those mm-hmm. stickies corresponded to different rooms in the school because we really wanted to break people out of their silos and help them to see things from different points of view. So we gave them the article, told them to go spread out. You have 30 minutes, go read it, annotate it, mark it up, bring your questions. We had an essential question that we had that we said as a group, you're going to discuss it. And we've got some prompts to help get the discussion going, but your job as a group at the end of that discussion is to have a consensus answer to this question. And so gave people time to read. They came back. It was one of the most, Engaged in impassioned days I had seen on a professional yeah. development day. And at the end mm-hmm. of it, the questions that came out, I'll never forget it was one of my first like big PD days I'd facilitated. We have like 175 staff, so it was a big deal. And uh, we had a poll everywhere. So as the consensus answers were coming in, we actually had them coming up real time on the screen. And mm-hmm. I could not have written them better myself. Like if I had done a full day of direct instruction, telling you what to think and why to think it, I don't think I could have crafted those better. Like the insights they had, because the question was asking them to make a connection between the theory and the research in the chapter with what we were practically talking about in our context and what the framework was suggesting. And everyone landed there. So that was a really powerful day. Um, Mm -hmm. And then another day that actually... I think there's so much power in story. I think we underestimate it a lot of the time. We want to jump to the logical explanations of why we should do something as a way to build expertise. And it Mm -hmm. just doesn't stick and it doesn't land the way we hope. And it starts to become frustrating. If you're someone who's trying to build expertise, you're like, it's right there. There's so many facts. And I mean, (laughs) what's just happened during the pandemic is a great example of facts sometimes aren't enough. And people need to be grabbed on that emotional level as well. So we actually did something that I remember when we were going to launch it. I love to do things that like, if someone says it's probably going to fail or it's a bad idea, I know I'm probably on the right track because we've never tried it before. And so we hosted a panel. We'll call it a panel, but I kind of joked when we started it. And we were like making it like the real world, like the MTV TV TV show. But we took our framework and we used a visible thinking routine, which was connect, extend, challenge. So how does this connect to your current practice? How does this... Extend your current practice and what challenges are you running into? So Mm. we realized that on all of these days, the building of expertise was usually by someone with a lot of expertise leading the conversation. And it was creating this dichotomy that was intimidating for people. So Mm. we pulled members of the committee that did not want to be in front of the group not feel totally confident or like they should be the one to be talking about their practice and we actually had them take our assessment framework and then do a live connect extend challenge and i i just started the podcast i was feeling pretty good about my interview skills so i i just Mm -hmm. live interviewed them up at the front in the big theater in front of you know all of their colleagues and they were raw and vulnerable and honest and talked about epic fails that they had had that year. And people were laughing and groaning and some were super inspired. They tell a story about something that worked really well, that they weren't expecting. And that was a really powerful day too. The actual experience of hearing other people say I've tried and it didn't go as perfectly as I was hoping, but here's one nugget of something that I was really excited about. Um, That for me was, was a great way to get people to a point where they were like, I want to build this expertise. Now I want to get in. And because I think the greatest expertise comes by doing, I think we can talk and talk and talk and we can read things. And I think that's all well and good. I love hearing about book clubs going on in schools and things like that. Mm -hmm. But until you actually get in there and take action with some of these ideas, you'll never have that tacit knowledge. And for me, that's like, when I hear the word expertise, that's what I think of is I've actually lived this. And I have that like personal narrative and story that, it works in a way that works for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. The, the, you know, being intentional, being purposeful um, and, and leaving nothing to chance, I think is important that you are intentional about building the capacity and, uh, and expanding your expertise uh, within the school. Listeners, uh, don't forget, uh, we will at some point, of course, have Natalie back uh, on, on the show, but at this point I want to remind you to subscribe to Natalie's podcast called Crush. I think new episodes will be coming out shortly. I believe Mm -hmm. Natalie was recording a trailer for episode or season three uh, coming out. I think I saw some Instagram posts about that. So Mm -hmm. uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe and follow Natalie on social media. Um, We'll have, of course, the links have been in the show notes all summer. So make sure you follow that. What else is going on, Nat? uh, Anything you want to talk about, promote, uh, anything you want to let listeners know about (laughs) that's happening with you?
2: Yeah, as you know, I, I left my full-time school-based job in the spring, and so I have a lot of things on the go. I'm starting work right. with yourself and some other brilliant colleagues at Solution Tree and have a couple mm-hmm. really exciting uh, collaborations coming up with different schools and school districts. But mm-hmm. something I wanted to take some time to talk about here, because it's it's a passion project of mine that I think has been brewing since I was a little kid, because I've always loved building things, creating things. I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, is a way to describe that. But this October I am launching an online program called the Empowerment Ecosystem. And I've really followed a design thinking process to get to this point. So we're really at that prototyping point. To go through the empathy phase, I talked to 50 people across the world, Australia, Africa, the UK, Ireland, the States, Canada, and tried to gain empathy for folks who consider themselves to be change agents in this space between assessment and grading and equity. And so based on what I learned, people really want community. They really want transformation. And I've grounded that learning into what is now this prototype program. So we're gonna launch with just 10 people. Um, I'm gonna work side by side with them, go really deep. And hopefully we are gonna get to the outcome of truly empowering students with assessment and becoming those Mm -hmm. inspiring mentors that we want to be for our colleagues who are seeking us out and want to change and and break that, that through that pain point that exists for all of us that can sometimes be a little lonely or isolating when you're someone who's really fired up about assessment or grading or or equity mm-hmm. or all three, and you're talking about these ideas and people are rolling their eyes and saying, Oh, that would never work for my students, or oh, I've seen this before, the pendulum, you know, which is what we're talking about <laughs> right back at the beginning. So I want to help those individual people kind of I'm doing a double pronged approach to reimagining education this fall. So I've got this program for individuals, but then the solution tree work is much more school and district based. So that's what right, I'm up to. Right.
0: So how, uh, how can listeners connect to that online uh, program? How, yeah. do they, how do they connect
1: with you?
2: Well, I would love to meet them first and foremost for a talk, yeah. uh, likely through Zoom. Okay. I'll give you a link that you can include in your show notes, if you don't mind. Okay. And sure. I'd love to just chat with them and see if it's a good fit for their goals. And if it is, we'll go from there.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Uh, so this is it for Assess That with Tom and Nat over the summer. Uh, but of course, we'll have Natalie back periodically if topics arise or things we want to debate, or maybe Natalie just wants to rant about something assessment-wise. Uh, we'll go from there. I think I'm the one that does more ranting than Natalie does. So uh, so as the expression goes, this is, this is not goodbye, it's see you later. Um, and we'll have Natalie back at some point. But uh, again, uh, Nat, thanks for being here every other week uh, over the summer. It's been great to sort of dig into some of these topics. And I know some of the feedback I've received from listeners is they've very much appreciated you bring your perspective, some mm-hmm. of your practical experience, and of course, your expertise that you brought to the conversation. Oh. So, all right, we'll see you again at some point. But um, that's it for now. Assess that, Tom and Nat. That's the wrap. Okay, that's it for this week. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, please email the podcast, TomShimmerPod at gmail.com, if you have questions for Assessment Corner or any suggestions you have or feedback you have for the podcast. And a reminder to check the show notes for the links for the upcoming professional learning events uh, this fall. The next episode will be Monday, September 12th in two weeks, then hopefully. We'll be back to our weekly schedule uh, as September unfolds, but we'll have to see how that goes as my travel schedule and book editing is about to be cranking up uh, this fall. So we'll see. The goal is to go every week, uh, but we'll see how that plays out. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast especially on Apple Podcasts but of course a rating or review on any platform will help grow the podcast reach and if you like what you hear please keep spreading the word about the podcast to your friends your colleagues or on social media I would really appreciate that have a great week everyone